Hollywood Chamber PAC is dedicated to shaping impactful policy that straightens our business community, promotes job growth, and drives economic prosperity. We work with elected officials to shape legislation that drives positive change and promotes economic growth. We invite you to become a valued partner of the Hollywood Chamber PAC by sponsoring our upcoming events. Learn more at HollywoodPAC.org. Are you ready for the Hollywood Chambers Accelerate? Coaching sessions that help accelerate your business growth. We break down complex issues in a short format. From the principles of finance to marketing strategies that will propel your organization. Learn from industry experts, tastemakers, and business leaders. Gain knowledge and resources that foster growth and innovation. The Hollywood Chambers Accelerate. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other streaming platforms. I am proud to introduce today's speaker, Lucas Poles. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Lucas is the president of Tech Coast Angels in Los Angeles, one of the nation's largest angel networks. He is also the chairman of the board for Spark XYZ. Previously, Lucas worked at ADP, where he successfully rolled out two technology-driven national pilots. In addition, Lucas currently writes for Forbes and does speaking engagements around Los Angeles. All right, let's jump into it. Lucas, tell me about Tech Coast Angels LA. Sure. So uh, Tech Coast Angels, we've been around for uh, probably just about 20 years uh, now. We're one of the oldest angel groups actually in the nation. We're definitely the largest in Southern California, and we're probably top five overall uh, across the U.S., LA itself has about 150 members, um, so with a very diverse uh, set of backgrounds, all accredited investors, and we make investments into early stage startups. So pre-seed and seed, uh, I'd say that's valuations kind of three to 15 million uh, right now. And yeah, we, we, uh, we write checks and fund, uh, fund companies. So Lucas, you also founded the company Spark XYZ. Tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So uh, Spark XYZ is platform management software for incubators, accelerators, uh, angel groups. When you have 150 members who are trying to come together and actually do due diligence, it can be very difficult uh, to kind of corral all of those people into one kind of space. And so that's the point of uh, Spark is to be able to help alleviate uh, a lot of our administrative functions. In this episode, we'll delve into the critical topics of relationships, roles, and rewards, and how they impact the success of startups and small businesses. Get ready to learn about the pitfalls of co-funding with your friends and family, the benefits of clear role division, and the importance of discussing equity and rewards with your co-founders. Today's episode will provide insights into the best people to co-found with and the items that should be included in co-founder contracts to avoid potential conflicts and issues. So let's start with relationships. What are some of the pitfalls of co-funding a venture with friends and family? So friends and family are the, the more difficult uh, out of kind of the four sets of people that you end up wanting to co-found with. So uh, I guess let's start with let's start with friends. So friends can be challenging to co-found with because you get early idea validation that you don't a lot of the time want or need. Uh, that's the first part. And then the second part that we'll end up diving into is uh, around the the tension that ends up building uh, when you end up disagreeing uh, on a topic. So the idea validation at the very beginning, 
when you're starting a venture back startup, a lot of the time you end up looking at uh, the, uh, you end up grabbing the closest people to you who are excited about the idea, uh, generally your friends, because it's an easy way uh, uh, to get kind of the venture off of the ground. It's just, it's not a positive thing as the venture kind of goes through uh, uh, its iterations. And so just because you think it's a good idea, maybe your friend thinks it's a great idea and you guys are saying, yeah, this is hurrah, hurrah, let's do it. The, the customers are the ones that end up uh, telling you whether or not this is actually a great idea. Someone willing to actually end up paying for this. And so a lot of time you'll end up building a bunch of stuff and not going about it the right way. And then conflicts start uh, arising. And so uh, again, with friends, a lot of time... Uh, uh, being in a startup is like being in a pressure cooker. You either have to grow or the startup ends up dying uh, and you have to make tough decisions along the way continuously. When you're co-founding with a friend, a lot of times those tough decisions don't end up getting made, which can be challenging <laughs> to say the least. Uh, the other part is that generally if you're friends with someone, generally you have the same interests, uh, whether it's hobbies or a lot of time you end up having the same skill sets. And so that comes into creating a homogenous team, which we'll dive into uh, a little bit uh, uh, later. If you have a team full of the exact same skills, the venture isn't going to be able to take off because you're going to be missing key components and actually starting uh, a venture-backed company. Now, when you start looking at family, the challenges are is that, uh, again, in, in you're in a pressure cooker, you have to make very tough decisions. A lot of times those decisions can't get made uh, with family members. Like uh, for me personally, I could never fire my mom. Like that would be a very difficult decision. Maybe she's not meeting the role. It wouldn't work out very well. The other kind of uh, main one that you end up looking at is decisions that end up being made outside of the actual work environment. And so if you have, say, let's give an example. You're at a team meeting on a uh, on a Friday, uh, maybe later in the afternoon, everyone agrees on one set path for what the next steps are and what you actually need to end up doing. The challenge is that the co-founders uh, are maybe husband and wife or uh, partners together, and they end up going home and uh, they decide on a totally different course of action over the weekend. The team comes in hyped, ready on Monday morning to be able to go through and execute on the plan that they'd agreed on on Friday. But <laughs> the the co-founding team has changed their mind and is totally sending them in a totally different direction uh, and they're not prepared for it. And so it starts creating this, this tension. The other part, and a, a, a lot of the stuff goes fine as long as everything's going well. But when things start going negatively, a lot of time that will start bleeding into the relationships. And so maybe the venture isn't going well and you and your partner go home and you start bringing these negative things home with you and you never have the chance to actually reset from the bad day that you had within the actual office. And so there's no relaxation. There's no like, hey, let me reset and retool and rethink on the, the actual problem. It's just continuous. And again, that will lead to very negative outcomes. Uh, and so, yeah, family and friends can be challenging to be able to work with. Uh, I would say that it is not impossible. Uh, you can absolutely set up firewalls in between where you set specific rules that you have to follow uh, around it. Like, hey, uh, with your partner, if we are at the office, we talk uh, X, Y, Z, or uh, if we go home, we're just not allowed to talk about it. And uh, you can set guidelines around that. It can become difficult to follow uh, as you kind of run through, but there are ways uh, around it. So why is it statistically better to co-fund with an acquaintance rather than friends or family? We do not invest in as many startups that 
have the family orient. Friends, maybe less so. Uh, to, uh, it's more of a check on really understanding their hierarchy and what ended up happening and how they did. But the, the family one can be significantly more difficult because uh, as you kind of move through the later stages, you can always fire a co-founder. It's, it's, <laughs> you can't, it's very difficult to fire your partner. So <laughs> uh, yeah, it, we invest significantly less in, in that. And uh, let me, uh, I guess, put the, the caveat here that these are for venture backed startups. So this is not a mom and pop shop where I've seen this work super, super well. Uh, it's not for the kind of the quote unquote lifestyle company, which is what it's called. Uh, this is for ventures backed pressure cooker, uh, high growth or fail kind of startups. Wow, that's a great point. In your experience, who are the best people to co-fund with and why? I would say the best people are previous coworkers. So you've already worked with them in a uh, uh, in a professional capacity. And so you truly understand how they work at the office. Uh, uh, some of the time, especially from a partner-orient, you, you might not know how someone works in a professional setting, but because you've already been through that specific space, uh, uh, it, it tends to lead to significantly better outcomes. Great. Let's get into roles. What is the main challenge founders routinely face when forming a homogenous team and why can it be problematic? Sure. So, uh, so a homogenous team versus a non-homogenous team. So a homogenous team is someone is a team that's put together, uh, with a bunch of people that have the exact same skill sets. So if you're starting a technology oriented company, and you bring in three co-founders and none of them are engineers who know how to code, but you're starting a technology company, uh, that ends up becoming <laughs> challenging to say the least. Uh, Non-homogenous teams uh, generally end up working out the best because you complement each other's, uh, uh, honestly, you complement each other's lack of skills in specific areas. So if you have a CEO that's good at sales, that's great. If you have an engineer that is great at engineering, Perfect. Uh, that's really exactly what you want because you fill specific gaps and there's no real overlap. Uh, when you start getting overlap uh, with a homogenous team, like, oh, I'm doing marketing and I want to do it this way, or no, I'm also a marketing person. I think that it should be done this way. And then again, you're, you're getting more conflict uh, uh, at the early stages where it's really unnecessary. That being said, what are the benefits of a clear division of labor and how does it help keep everyone accountable? Yeah, so the, this this comes back to a uh, hierarchy versus egalitarian uh, thought. So uh, at the beginning, honestly, you can go kind of either way. You can go uh, by consensus uh, as you're kind of starting out through the whole team uh, for the direction of the company, um, or you can go straight into hierarchy where it's kind of one person making the final decision. Um, but again, uh, if especially at the early stage, if you're going hierarchy, uh, you need to be able to listen to all uh, aspects to be able to make those decisions rather than the kind of uh, authoritarian uh, aspect. As you transition uh, into the later stages of a company, you obviously absolutely have to uh, go into a higher uh, hierarchical structure. That's just the way that it ends up working out. Uh, if you look at Facebook now, they have 10 layers right, of management from top to bottom, whereas when they first started, it was seven people, six people in a room together uh, making decisions. So uh, those are the, uh, the two different uh, kind of spaces. 
How do hierarchical and egalitarian approaches differ in their effectiveness? And what are the pros and cons of each approach in terms of company growth and decision making? So the cons, uh, obviously, of the, the of the hierarchy is, uh, especially at the early stages, that if you're a CEO and you put into place a hierarchy and you're not listening uh, either to the people uh, generally, it's the people that are closest to the customers. So if you have product people or you have uh, salespeople that are having these conversations with these customers, if you're not listening to the, to that first line, then bad decisions are going to end up being made based on because you're thinking that you just want your vision, right? Uh, not everyone is Steve Jobs. And <laughs> so uh, it can definitely lead to a downfall. When you're looking at the egalitarian approach and the, and the cons of it, especially at the early stages, that as soon as the organization starts getting bigger and bigger, trying to corral 15, 20, 25, 30 people to make a single decision, you just end up having decision paralysis. And it's a very, it's a very negative kind of thing to try to, and very difficult to, if you've ever, ever tried to uh, corral 30 people into making a decision. Uh, and so that, that's the other uh, side of it, but they can both be useful at the very beginning when you're first starting, eventually you will have to move into the, the hierarchy, but uh uh, it's kind of the uh, whatever style uh, you feel is best for the early stage team up to kind of five or 10 people. Let's get into rewards. Why is it essential to have a discussion early on about rewards and equity with your co-founder? Uh, because it's another, it's another place for conflict. Uh, <laughs> rewards are uh, super important, uh, especially around the, the, just the equity uh, component. And so, when I see two co-founders that have come in and they've just kind of started and I see a 50-50 split, what that communicates to me is that you didn't have a tough conversation. So nothing is ever 50-50 uh, when co-founding. It's just not. One person generally will do more. And so the the challenge with that is that if you split 50-50 and you have, doing someone, uh, you have someone doing significantly more, it's going to start breeding resentment within the actual team. And that's not going to go well. It's where you start getting co-founder conflict and a lot of bad things happen to it. And I've seen a lot of startups go down uh, simply because of this kind of equity split piece. And so because it's a tough conversation, if it shows a good indication to investors like, hey, we've had this tough conversation, we went through ABC, this is how we ended up splitting the equity and why. Like having a good story behind it is great because it means that next time another tough decision comes up, I know that you will be able to have that tough conversation rather than trying to put it off uh, for a later date uh, and letting it fester. What is a dynamic split and how can it be helpful in dividing equity between co-founders? Yeah, so dynamic split is a, it's an interesting uh, concept. I'm not sure how many people, and uh, some people end up using it, but uh, not, a, uh, not everyone. A dynamic split is really honing down into the different phases of a startup in the very beginning. So if you look at it, so let's take a technology company, for example. In the first three months of a technology company for six months, the engineer is going to be doing the majority of the work because you're building a product, right? The the salespeople, they don't have anything to really sell yet. They might be able to take pre-orders and do some work. But the the split there is going to be 90-10, right? And so that's kind of phase one. But in phase two, maybe uh, 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 you have the, the salespeople going through and uh, they're going out and selling or you have HR trying to set up uh, a, a bunch of 
policies around specific things, they're going to be either doing more work or about even maybe with the engineer. And then maybe in phase three, again, the salespeople are now off and running because the product is built. And so then it's 90-10 on the amount of work of actually starting the venture. And so the idea of a dynamic split is that you have good conversations around those kind of three phases or around the couple of phases that the startup is going to end up going through. And you determine who's going to be doing what work at what stage and where, and you have the equity split based on those specific pieces of work within each phase. And so it's like, hey, maybe phase one is 40% of our total equity and employee one or co-founder one, two, and three are one's getting 20, one's getting 30, one's getting 50. And so it's kind of building a matrix uh, across and really diving into the actual equity split rather than just being like, oh, well, I'm going to do 60 and you do 40 just kind of off the bat. Lucas, this information has been so great. Let's get into our last question. What are some items that should be included in co-founder contracts to avoid potential conflicts and issues? Yeah. Uh, morality clauses, probably. <laughs> That'd be a good one. Um, uh, the, the main thing is a, uh, a vesting schedule. So uh, putting it out for, uh, say, four years with kind of a one-year cliff is a very standard thing for co-founders and for uh, employees. And so a vesting schedule is basically like, hey, you own 70% of the, this company, right? But uh, you only get awarded those pieces of equity uh, every month for the next four years. Your total will be uh, 70 at the end of four years. But if you leave before then, then all that equity uh, that has not been accumulated ends up disappearing. Uh, the idea of a cliff is that you don't get anything for the first year. And when you hit that year mark, uh, everything that's accumulated then comes in. The reason that this is one of the most important pieces of, of an early stage startup is simply because uh, you might have someone that is uh, super excited about the idea. Six months in, you guys realize that uh, you're unable to work together and all of a sudden uh, uh, they leave. Now, the challenge with that is that if they leave after six months and you've awarded them equity, they would walk away with that equity if you don't have uh, a vesting schedule. And so it's to help prevent uh, giving away part of the company for people that are not actively engaged in the actual company. Lucas, thank you so much for joining us. Before you go, can you tell everyone how they can find you and learn more information about Tech Coast Angels? Yeah, sure. So for Techos Angels, it's just techosangels.la um, on our website. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm sure my name will be somewhere below. Uh, it's super easy to uh, to get a hold of me. And uh, for Spark, uh, sparkxyz.io, uh, feel free to jump on. If you are an early stage startup, we've got a bunch of uh, angel groups on there now where you can actually go in and apply uh, to receive funding. So uh, check us out on there. Thank you for tuning in to Accelerate. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform and on our YouTube channel. For more information on the Hollywood Chamber, please visit hollywoodchamber.net. Want to join us for our next HCC event? Network and mingle with Hollywood's leading business professionals, innovators, and creatives at some of the top-rated restaurants and venues in the area. Register for our monthly lunch hustle, speed leads, bash, and happy hour events at hollywoodchamber.net backslash events.